All right, guys, it's the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. Uh, as someone who's been editing a lot of our 24-7 uh, sports podcasts, I've noticed that everyone's like, welcome to this, welcome to that, and I'm, I'm doing the same because I'm editing all them. So uh, this week I decided you're not welcome. You are expected to be here because tomorrow is the last day of February, which means in two days it is March, March Madness time. Jerry, is there any holiday in any religion, in any secular culture, is there any holiday that's better than the first Thursday of March Madness? Um, <clears throat> that's a good one. Usually I wear a suit that day. Do you really? Put a, put a top hat on, try to hit a couple bars. Um, <laughs> so then, yeah, it's a good conversation starter. They're like, what are you dressed up for? <clears throat> and I get to, you know, talk about basketball with them. But I love it. I'm a big Halloween guy. Oh, yeah? Um, Christmas well, is always fun when you what's get your, What's your best, what's <laughs> your best all-time Halloween costume? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I would have to think of ones my children had. Um... <laughs> We, we did the old robot, get, you know, cheap boxes and that coily stuff. I don't even know what it's called. And we, I thought the robot was a good one, especially when my son Owen fell and he couldn't get up. <laughs> so we laughed at him for a little bit, <laughs> watched his legs and arms flail around. And then, then, then we finally lifted him up. <laughs> one time I did something like that where, like, I dressed up as a robot mm-hmm. and I had, like, tin foil wrapped around a shooting sleeve on my arm uh, with, with uh, rubber bands. And, like, an hour into, like, the costume party, I realized I didn't have feeling in my hand. So I had to, <laughs> I had That's funny. to, I had to adjust the thing. But as much as I'd love to talk about our favorite non-March Madness holidays, there is March Madness on the horizon. Horizon, barely three weeks out, and we got to get into it, Jerry. It's been a nutty week. We, you know, we we previewed three games for this up for this past weekend, and they did not disappoint. I, I we don't even have time for Oregon Arizona, which poor Josh Green, if he had just hit those free throws, Oregon uh-huh. would have lost. Arizona would have won. That was a really tough loss, but we don't have, even have time for that. We've got Kansas over Baylor for the first time all year. The same team is number one in all the computer and person metrics. We've got Gonzaga taking a loss, and we've got San Diego State taking their first loss of the season. Where are these, of these three games from last weekend do you want to start? Oh, let's just go Kansas, <clears throat> Baylor. Kansas is really good at basketball, people. Yeah, they traditionally have. Uh, but, yeah, I love this Kansas team. I think they are the team to beat, in my opinion. You know, obviously anything can happen. I'm not crowning them the champions yet. But, man, they're good. <clears throat> they're. I like the length they put on the court. Uh, you know, Dotson's not the biggest guy, but obviously he's a great player. But then after him, it's like everyone has size. They can do any type of switching they want to do. I think, you know, I'm actually looking at highlights right here. They – they have an intimidation factor, I think, defensively. And then uh, Doak just gives them another dimension that most teams don't have. So to get to the game, um, very similar teams, uh, physical perimeter defenders. I mean, the defense was incredible in that game. I mean, high, high-level man-to-man defenders. But very few teams have a guy like Azabuki. And that, that law play was working. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw you asked a question to your to your followers on Twitter that I'm going to throw back in your face. You know, is there anybody in the past, let's say, decade of college basketball who presents the physical presence that Yudoka Azubuke does yeah. on the floor? Yeah, I don't know if, you know, Anthony Davis was the retort I got back. Because my question was, since Greg Oden at Ohio State, has there been a player this physically dominant at center? And I could have worded it better because part of the context I had in my mind was that's that's kind of what they do, you mm-hmm. know. Anthony Davis was 
had such a finesse game. I mean, too. he's everything. You yeah, know? Anthony Davis go out. And, so I wasn't even really considering players like Anthony Davis. Yes, Anthony Davis was a beast. The be- I would say the best center in the game right now. You know, he's got some guys trying to get to his level, but. I don't know. I mean, especially what I saw in the last two games. I, watched, I said it during the Oklahoma State game. I mean, most college teams just have no prayer to answer the physicality of of Doak. And Bill Self is doing a great job with the screening action. Um, you know, Self loves a two-big-guy offense, but I think he's kind of given up on that. I mean, the times have changed. It's been a slow progression for him. You know, they wanted to play McCormick at the same time with Azubuki, and they've just gone away with that. So they're spreading the court, and they're running that pick and roll, and it's vicious. You know, the, you look back on the past two years, Doak missed a bunch of time last year. But with Doak on the floor, in the past two years, they have just five losses, and well, well over 35 wins. So, yeah, it's interesting. And, and I hadn't even talked about his defense. So he gives them an anchor on defense where they can pressure even more. And just very few teams have that. You know, I, I'm a big, it's a perimeter game. It's all about guards. But if you have the guards and then you add a big guy like him, I mean, you're, you're way ahead of the game. And that's kind of how I feel about Kansas right now. I love the elements. Not the best shooting team, but it's not, they're not that bad a shooting team. And they make timely shots. They're clutch. But, yeah, I would not want to play Kansas. But I am extremely impressed with Baylor, too. I mean, perhaps they really are the two best teams. It's a distinct possibility. And, you know, Kansas, as much as you just said, they're not a consistently amazing three-point shooting team. They have lots of dudes who could heat up Isaiah Moss, Dotson, yeah, they got guys who shoot. They don't hang their hat on firing threes. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why you like them, because they can do it, but they have a more complete, rounded attack. At the end of the day, when two teams of this caliber play, you pray, you know, going into it, that it'll be a one-possession game when the clock runs out. And Kansas and Baylor delivered. And so as college basketball fans, it's really exciting. They're now tied on top of uh, the Big 12 standings with uh, at 14-1. and one. So with three games to go, you know, that, that's completely up in the air. Let's move to Gonzaga. You know, a, uh, you know, a loss on the road in a top, against a top 25 team, really talented, a team that has just two losses with their best player, Yuli Childs, on the floor. Does this change anything about Gonzaga for you? Because it no. definitely doesn't for me. <laughs> no, I'm, we're in the same boat then. Um, I think Gonzaga's very good. BYU is very good. But, yeah, I love that BYU team. And, you know, kind of mentioned, I love the intensity BYU always plays with. They, you know, they play with a purpose. Um, on Gonzaga, you know, I mean, they were 5 of 20 from 3. <laughs> they probably would, or 5 of 25 or 5, maybe 5 of 25. It might have been 20%. Um, so they lost a three-point shooting battle with BYU, and they had more turnovers. So that's not a good formula. But to me, it's just BYU's good. A very difficult place to play. Uh, you know, I wish Gonzaga had a little more, I don't know, a quick – I, I kind of like a team that has, I mean, not just a point guard, but really I feel like they have at least a point guard out there, if not more than one. And, you know, ideally more than one. Like Kansas has a good situation there. Marcus Garrett and Dotson. With, with, with Gonzaga, I get the feel they got, like, guys just playing point guard, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And that causes uneasiness with me. And if they're not shooting well and if they face too much quickness, athleticism, you know, that, that can present them a problem. But, you know, 
It, nothing changed. Sa same analysis I had of Gonzaga going into the game remains coming out of that game. All right, same question, San Diego State coming in at home against a, 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 a quad three loss against UNLV. Traditional power, but certainly not a power in 2020. You know, how much does this loss ding the Aztecs come March? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Again, you know, I'm not really a bracketologist. I, I don't, I don't, does it knock him to two, want to stay at one? I don't know on that. Um, you are what you are. And I would put it in there with Gonzaga. Nothing really has changed on how I feel about San Diego State after that game. It's very difficult. I'm surprised San Diego State hadn't lost mm -hmm. earlier. Just the nature of the beast. It's tough to win game after game after game. Um, but, uh, Again, San Diego State, I, I really love their guards. <clears throat> Flynn, great player. Uh, did not shoot the ball well. I think them shooting is important. And when you look at their rebounding, that, that's kind of where I get scared. Like, their top rebounders in that game were their guards, Shackle and, um, and Flynn. And Mitchell and Winsel, is it not? Um, I think they each had like four rebounds apiece. And then San Diego State does not have depth. I, you know, I just don't know if they can pull it off for six games, put mm -hmm. it that way. Well, they they now, it's as we all know, it's a weird season in college basketball, which means it's a normal season in college basketball. But San Diego State now joins just Duke, Arizona, Colorado, and Kentucky as the only teams in the top 25 with uh, quad three or quad four losses. Uh, and, and it's just weird. Like, we'll get, we'll get into that right now, uh, honestly. It happens. Well, let's get into that with uh, our next segment uh, is called ACC Madness because I literally, at the top of the ACC, we've got Duke, we've got Florida State, and we've got Louisville, and I have no idea what's flying. Uh, the other night, Duke loses to Wake Forest in double overtime. Florida State cleaned up Louisville the night before. Um, so many questions. Right now, who's your favorite ACC team? I think I know who, uh, who you're going to say. Yeah, yeah Florida, Florida State. State. There you go. And how do we contextualize, let's start with Duke, the highs and lows of this Duke team? Well, I'll just give you my analysis. Because <clears throat> um, you might be asking for something else that I, I don't – when you say contextualize, I'll give you why I think it's happening. Mm -hmm. Um if Duke does not play on a red line intensity level, I think they really drop. You know, some teams can afford maybe to do that a little more than I think this Duke team can. Well, let me illustrate that yeah. point for you because I was I was looking back on the, the game against Wake Forest this morning to, to you know to prep with eight and a half minutes to go in the game. Wake Forest was sitting on fifty eight points at the end of the game. So eighteen minutes later, they finished with hundred thirteen. So that meant that Duke you, gave you up. You counted the overtime, right? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. so in other words, Just making sure 18, I wasn't listening that well to the eight, numbers. Eighteen and a half minutes, they gave up fifty-five points, right? So that's not even a full half of basketball. Mm -hmm. They gave up fifty-five points. So yeah. I think that it just illustrates your point that if they're not, if they're not all there, they're not going to be. They're not going to be that good defensively. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, they they have to be revved, revved up. I think. I think they also need their stars, Trey Jones. And Vernon Carey to play really well. Mm -hmm. And I did not see the Wake Forest game, for full disclosure. Read about it some, but, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of the Duke games recently. And if, if they're off, that really hurts Duke. Because I, I think it's just such a toss-up, where's Duke going to get anything else from? And in some games they get it, and it's moved around some. And I'm not saying the other players, the complimentary players, 
are bad. They're not. Obviously, they're good. Duke's a top five-ish team. But that that's those are questions with Duke, you know. But if like if they, if Duke comes out, because Coach K can coach, they have the right game plan. If they are tuned into the game plan, if they play on that red line, you know, intense man-to-man defense with focus and teamwork, you know, you know, they're on the edge. If they're there and their star players play well, the other guys don't play that bad. You know, they're good enough to beat anyone. They're good enough to win at all. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, they need those things to happen. So, I mean, it, it's just wild. You know, th- thinking about this Duke team, this is not something I'm used to saying when I talk about Duke, and it, and I think it illustrates the point. Let me ask you this question. What is Duke's worst loss? And it's not an easy one to answer, and that presents a problem. Is it Stephen F. Austin at home? Is it Wake Forest on the road? NC State? I mean, Clemson? I, I, I don't even know. And And I think that illustrates the lows to which this Duke team can can fall to and so last question on duke before we get to florida state and i know you're itching to get there gun to your head who's a better basketball team duke or creighton because i know you like creighton that's a good question um i mean i kind of like creighton yeah well let let me tell you this (laughs) to be honest i mean Duke, duke has just four quad one wins creighton has nine yeah well i you know you win or lose to who you play against um but I get what you're saying. I, I look at it just more eye test as a scout guy. I mean, I look at wins losses, don't get me wrong, and try to contextualize them. But teams have bad games. I mean, Duke losing to Stephen F. There, there's outliers and anomalies for any team um, very often. Uh, but, I, man, I just like – I think – I mean, Vernon Carey is very, very good. But I think Creighton can guard – uh, Jones at the point with Tyshawn Alexander. I like the I like this the scoring overall punch of Creighton, the sort of the balance attack they have. I thought Bishop looked good the other day when I watched him. Um I don't know, man. I I kinda lean Creighton. I mean I try to not see the name on the uniforms. That's hard for people. Oh, I think it's extremely hard for fans because they're yeah. fans of a team. See mm-hmm. I'm not a fan, so it's a little easier for me. And I work in the business you know, my dad was a small school coach. I, I, I wasn't in – I wasn't waving banners for, like, my team. My team was my dad's team, which I was, like, a part of. So I have a little different perspective. <clears throat> and so I try, and I think I'm decently good at it, like, trying not to see uniforms, not to even see the players' names. You know, watch them play. And, boy, I really like this Creighton team. So let, let's go from one team that you really like to another, Florida State – You've been on them for a while, and boy, did they thrash Louisville the other night. Yeah, it was a fun second half. I'm pray, <clears throat> you know, I pray, I pray, I pray for Jordan Wara's soul after he got posterized like that. Oh, Poor oh kid. yeah, he did get dunked Poor on. kid. I was praying more for the guards who were having trouble dribbling the ball up the court against the full court pressure. Um, that's really what turned the game. That it was As I come out of a tradition of full court man-to-man defense, um, and... So that was fun to watch because you, you don't see much pressing anymore. In basketball, the players are too good, typically, and it's too much risk-reward. But Florida State was pushed into that position, and they might be thinking we need to do this more because that, that it was two separately different halves. They totally took it, – it, it's not always when you press. It's not always about stealing the ball. It's about getting people out of their rhythm. You get them, and you get them taking shot. And what that means out of the rhythm is kind of a cliche, but it's very true. 
but specifically what that means basketball-wise, is the obvious you get rushed a little bit. Uh, you're not really getting into your offense, that comfortable zone of I'm used to getting a shot here. We I hear this. I mean, there's psychology in sports such as, oh, I hear the coach call this certain play. It's my favorite play. I know I'm going to get a good look. I sort of get that excitement. I get that anticipation. I approach that play, attack it properly psychologically. I'm ready to make that shot. Well, against the press, you know, unless you got a team, they're like, yeah, please press us. (laughs) We're coming at you, which there are a lot of teams like that. That's why you don't see pressing all the time. But Louisville didn't really have that approach. They end up taking the default shot, often open. You know, you're gonna when you press, you're gonna give up open threes, like in the corner, stuff like that. But you're you're banking on one, we're gonna get more possessions in the game, so that gives us more time to come back. And hopefully, it's not the shot they were feeling great about. You know, you get you, you roll the dice, but man, yeah, they rolled some really good die. Yeah, <laughs> that, that night. Look, I mean, it worked you know, out. Florida State, especially in the past decade has traditionally been a team with immense athletic talent. And the question for them has been, you know, consistency, basketball IQ, that kind of stuff. And so it's no surprise to see a team with that kind of uh, makeup doing well in the full court, pre- full court press. So with three games left for Duke and Florida State and two for Louisville, we've got Florida State 14-3, and three, Louisville 14-4, and four, and Duke 13 and 4. And so obviously Florida State is the uh is the favorite going into the end of the season. Who you got who you got for the ACC? I don't know, man. I I don't know who they play, but uh, I like I like Florida State. Florida <laughs> Florida State, we're going to get into this. I would have to see the schedule, you know, We're going to get into I'm, this a little. going to wager on this at the very end of the show, but uh Florida State has some real bunnies. So that's going to well, do it for- and that I'll stick with my answer, Florida State. <laughs> Well, there's nothing wrong with saying that the team in first place is going to finish in first place. Well, with inertia. Usually, that's the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is why it's always safe to say Kansas is going to win the Big Twelve because I don't know if you heard, but they're, like they're usually the best two. team in the Big Twelve. Yep. That's right. So that's going to do it for the first half. We'll come back on the other side with uh, twenty four uh, seven Sports just released. Uh, new rankings for the class of 2021. We're going to look at the top five players with Jerry. And we're going to look real quick at Syracuse, which is yet again, can't believe I'm saying that, on the outs looking in for the NCAA tournament and then looking ahead to who could clinch their conference championship this uh, this upcoming week. Stay tuned. And we're back, 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. Be sure to hit us up on Twitter at 24-7-CBB-POD. Um, we are rounding into form. We've got questions for Jerry there. You ask him, we'll answer him on the show. That's a promise. Really hope uh, we can see uh, and hear from you guys because we want to answer the questions that matter to you. Uh, but for now, I've got questions, and that is, Jerry, how confident do you feel in this uh, new release? We've got the top five kids, in uh, top five players, I should say, in the class of 2021. We've got Jonathan Kaminga, Chet Holmgren, Patrick Walwin Jr., Paolo Banchero and Jabari Smith. Let's start with Mr. Kaminga. Everyone's got him number one. Why? Well, the easy answer is the best. <laughs> what makes him the best? Uh, great size, six eight. Combo forward. You know, kind of that. I don't know. It, it seems to be a good place to be in today's game. Is that six seven, six eight type guy who's a combo forward and you know possesses 
versatility inside skills and outside skills he's that type of guy he can post up and get you baskets he can shoot the three he's got physicality um he's just a really good player mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he'll rebound as well you know he's you know, it's the best way <laughs> he's good sometimes as scouts we overthink it all you know like you know because for one thing some guys check a lot of boxes <clears throat> and that would be like of a combine nature or you know an easy scout does he dribble good does he it's about being a player you know a lot of times so sometimes i think we can overthink stuff a little bit what i try to remember as a scout is what if i were choosing teams for a pickup game who would i pick Mm-hmm. And I mean, so if I have confidence as myself as basketball knowledge <laughs> and think I would be a good pickup game GM, I'm going number one with the guy. You know, who do I want? I, I would I would want Kaminga on my team. So that'd be my first pick. So there are two there. There's um, uh, a possibility that Kaminga might reclassify mm-hmm. to 2020. And so from that, I have two questions for you. First, if he does classify up to the class of 2020, where does where does he fit in in that class? Oh, man. I did not prepare for that one. That's ah. I, I'm going to pull up the ranking, then I'll give you an answer. Let's keep rolling. We'll come and back so the to other that que- And so the other question then is, if he leaves the class of 21 for the class of 20, who rises to number one? Because I know that's been a hot topic of conversation yeah. here in the 24-7 sports office. Um, not everyone has the same answer, so I'm curious where you stand. Well... I'm I'm good right now with Chet Holmgren. He's our number two guy, <clears throat> but I do have reservations. All right, so Holmgren, seven footer, extremely skinny. Um, you can think Przingis a little bit. I I like I, the comparison of uh, Tayshon Prince from back in the day, played wow. for, for Kentucky and Detroit, but just because of his. He's a little taller than Tayshon, but Tayshon practically played like a seven footer. <laughs> Does you know, Chet Holmgren's arms, arms go down to his ankles? Exactly, they don't. <laughs> but you put it all together, they're similar length and just, you know, scary, scarily insane skinny. But obviously, Tayshaun Prince, you know, when Durant got in the league, I mean, there have been skinny players that have success. Brzingis, it's just tough these days, um, you know, because his center, center of gravity is high and all that. But he can play. People should check out his highlights. Really, uh, really good feel for the game kind of like a point forward and can shoot it you know you just wonder about does he bring enough mass to the court and so can he make you know like you'll watch him play and the question is how far these unique things he does how well will they translate when he faces upper level physical type players and and he has success against them on the circuit and all that you know the tr- the AAU stuff the travel circuit but night in night out and you know that that's just a question with him and and do you think that could possibly uh, make him a little more injury prone? Oh, there's always that chance, but you know if you're too heavy like Zion, you're injury prone. <laughs> you know I guess everyone's injury prone. A lot of that's genetics. Um, there, there's that possibility, of course. The the guy that's really on my mind is Banchero, Paulo Banchero. Mm-hmm. Um, Power man, forward just, out of Washington. It's a big, like, like Rico Gathers, who played at Baylor Ooh. back in the day, he reminds me of him with, with way more game. <laughs> you know, like handling the ball, 
passing, shooting. And Rigo was a good player, but you remember the physical beast he was. Uh, so much so that Rigo gathers football ha- now, isn't he? Yeah, in the NFL. <laughs> so you want you want to compare someone yeah. to a real yeah, beast? People should check out highlights on our site. You know, you come to one of our player profiles at Twenty Four Seven Sports. I'll get that plug. And you get those highlights. But, plug um, that. Plug that. But I think you can really play, and. <sighs> Me included might be making a mistake of like taking his physicality and size for granted. And we always tend to think, oh, this guy will get bigger. Mm-hmm. But will he ever get as big as this guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure people are like, oh, well, one day they're going to catch up to Zion and mm-hmm. he's not going to be able to just bully people. Well, he's still bullying people. They, they never. A lot of times, they never catch up. So Banchero is a guy for me that I really have my eye on. I might as well just roll through the guys. He's fi- Banchero. Yeah. He's fifteen pounds heavier than anybody else in the top fifteen. Yeah, that's oh, a he's big a beast. dude. He's a beast. A he can move. Dude. He can. And he's, he's got two thirty five. He's got a well rounded skill game and very intelligent player. And he plays with a chip on his shoulder. You know, mm. like he puts his physicality to use. He competes. And that's huge for me. So I have my eye on him. Let me do a more general thing. This ranking right now, 2021, these guys got a little time, you know, so they're, they're in their junior season. Next summer is big for them. Yeah. And that's when, like you asked, uh, sort of like, did I feel good about the ranking? I, I feel fine about this ranking, but. I don't feel like I have the data to really, really judge it yet. Like mm-hmm. we'll get the data this spring, this summer, yeah. and then we'll have a better idea on it. So obviously, I have my eye on Banchero as uh, the possible number one guy. Patrick Baldwin, who we have at number two, he's mm-hmm. a very good player too. Very smooth uh, operator on offense. Not a lot of presence on defense. Um, you know, he's more of a finesse. He's skilled and he's athletic, but you know he's not blocking shots all over the place mm-hmm. and guarding all kinds of positions. And make, he's not a huge impact defense guy, but very, very advanced offensive game. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. And then who we got fifth? Jabari Smith, mm-hmm. um, upside guy. I would probably feel the least likely on him because I'm just moving, moving away from upside guy. And I know. Uh, Holmgren, Chet, who we talked about, has some upside stuff to him, but he has a very well-versed game. Jabari Smith, um, length, athleticism, and can shoot. Those are pretty important. Yeah. But he's got a lot of development to do outside just those specific areas. Honestly, it sounds like if Ben Shero can have a good summer and our man Kuminga and our man Jonathan Kuminga could pop up to class of 2020 uh-huh. and you know, you could see our power forward, six nine power forward out of Washington jumping into Jerry's number one. I, from what I'm hearing from you, it's well, there's like a chance. Yeah. So let's so let's slide back. I, I mean, pulled they, up. He. Yeah, there's a good chance. So <laughs> I think I've probably said enough about it, and I, I need so to talk about up, it again in a few more months. I pulled up the 20, 2020 uh, rankings here. Oh, did you pull it you. up? Yeah. I was so so if Jonathan Kaminga reclassifies to uh, class of twenty twenty, yeah. where where would you slot him? Uh. I like um, and I might have a little. Like, are we looking at the composite here? Yeah, we're you looking know, at the right, composite. So it'd be, you know, individually for me, I would put them in probably. Uh, I, I like Cade Cunningham is would His be my man. number one. His own man. I've always, I, I've been on him a while. 
Evan Mobley, some of the same concerns about physicality and stuff. He's, we, that's number two. I would put him probably ahead of Evan. I mean, I don't know, man. Anywhere from two to five. But <laughs> it takes time. You know, it's hard to just boom, give an yeah. answer here. But off the top of my head, I'd put it this way. Cade Cunningham, number one. And then, yeah, I could see two. I could see him being number two. I, I could a- also see him being, you know, I don't know what we'll decide as a team, you know, under Evan Daniels' leadership. But um, it could be three, four, five. I mean, I, I, that wouldn't throw me off right now. I'm just so impressed with guys who reclassify. And, we're, and I want to move on because we got a couple more things to talk about. But I just lastly, I'm always impressed with guys who reclassify and then still manage to stay in the top five. Like, yeah, but, you, you know, that, that just, just like speaks to the talent. It speaks to like you're a year behind well, and in it development. Speaks to, in my opinion, people overdo the age thing. That's well, it's just like between 17 and 18 is a real physical year for people. People, you know, hit their final growth yeah. spurts. People have an opportunity to get a, another year in the gym. Not necessarily with the elite guys. That's fair. Because they're not normal humans. <laughs> so you follow what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So like a top five guy is kind of, I mean, you know. There's obviously you run out of numbers. And I get, I'm not, I'm just giving another side. No, what please you're saying, do. Because I hear what you're saying. It's just impressive but, to me. You know? but, when you, but when you deal with that range and that type of athlete, you know, there's not many, put it this way, most top five players are top five talented, like when they're 15. Yeah, that's there, fair. And there are some, except like Anthony Davis had the huge growth spurt. Sure. But, you know, Obi top that, that's the something you got to remember. Like if you're a five star one year and that we were talking theoretically, and of course, like if a bunch of guys reclassified, then you'd have too many numbers. You can't have five A, five B, five C. Sometimes you want to, because you think because every year it, it's it's relative. So one year, yeah, number five is better in another year than a number five. But in general, if if you are sophomore, junior, or senior, and you are in that higher range, it, it's like it's like if a top five sophomore plays a game against a top five senior. Yeah, sure, the senior should be older, has advantages, but you don't go into the game like, oh, my God, I hope hope little Johnny Joe, (laughs) the sophomore, can hang with this. You're like, we got two top five guys going at it, you know? Yeah. Well, I just it reminds me when I was an intern in Washington D.C. working at a foreign policy think tank. My uh, the summer after my freshman year of college, and there was a girl who I was interning with, and I was like, "This girl is smart, like really, really smart." Uh-huh. And her writing was better than all the rest of us interns. We were all pretty young, uh, but then out of nowhere, I find out she wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, and I was like, "Oh, so like you're, you're not you're not like a, a good writer relative to us. You're you're just like a, a, a straight good up good, good writer." Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what you're saying. You're saying about these five guys so let, yeah, let's move on am. yeah they're and they're different <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're they're, Look, fi- if they're five stars they're, yeah they're, i mean people really need to think about this if you are 16 years old and you're ranked in the top five in america in basketball do you realize how elite a, a human being in a way yeah. or as a human being how elite that makes that person in their field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, and I don't think we always think like that through. Top one percent of the one percent. Yeah, I mean, so how many kids in Europe or South America are going to be better than this number three player in the country as a sixteen-year-old in America? You know, obviously, like to me, grown man physicality 
big difference. Like when you get to the NBA, like an eight, 19 year old or a 20 year old playing against a 28 year old. That's now, different. That to me is like, that's why it takes some time for elite players when they make the you know move to the NBA. But when you're in that, like just to me, just kind of like we've gone past adolescence, we're past puberty, we're teenagers, we're not yet adults yet. You know, I'm expecting a 17 year old to be able to hang with a mm-hmm. 19 year old or whatever. All right, well we're pushing up, we're pushing up against the edge of our time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna push mm-hmm. our conversation about Syracuse to next week. Oh, okay, uh, and let's uh, and let's jump right ahead to a conversation about the the upcoming games this week. And I just wanted to run through real quick, you know. There are a couple teams that can clinch, uh, you know, power conferences, power conference regular season titles this week. So those are some games to watch. So my Maryland Terrapins, who came back down from 17 last night to beat Minnesota on a crazy Daryl Marcel shot. Shout out to Daryl. Shout out to my Terps. So they could clinch a share of the Big Ten with a win on Saturday against Michigan State at home. And if Wisconsin, Illinois, and Penn State all lose between now and then because the top of the Big Ten is wildly close, Maryland would then clinch it outright. So Two wins clinches it for Maryland. A win and a loss by all the teams that are one game behind, that'd do it for them. You think there's any chance Maryland gets a one seed? Yeah, there's a chance. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> J- man. Don't Jerry, I, you're so cautious. I'm not. Well, you're so cautious. No, I'm not a, when I don't know what I'm talking about, I try to be cautious. I am not a bracketologist. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I kind of have an aversion to that. I don't really pay attention to it, so... I'm cautious because I don't know. So Kentucky then could clinch the SEC outright with a win over Auburn on Saturday. You know, what are you looking for in that game? Kentucky Auburn? Yeah. No, that'll be fun. It'll be fun. Um, what am I looking for? <clears throat> um You gotta assume it's gonna be a fast paced game. A lot of a lot of shots. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be fun watching the guard matchups, mm-hmm. uh, the speed of the game. Um, you know, Kentucky I think, man, I'm going to get on a pet peeve here about tempo. Do it. I'll sit back and relax. Here we go. Well, people always talk about this team doesn't want to play fat. You don't want to get on a running match with this team. Well, what does that even mean? So how does me walking the ball down the court keep the other team from running? Now, it, it creates fewer possessions in the game. Maybe... You try to lull them to sleep. It's kind of hard to do that because if a team wants to run, they're going to be pressuring you on D. And, you know, maybe make them use energy on D, but I've never seen a team that wanted to run who had to play a lot of D then got the ball and was like, oh, geez. <laughs> no, it's usually you get the ball, you're like, let's play faster. So, but what you do, and I think this leads to the Kentucky-Auburn thing. I, th- I think the key thing is shot selection. So when you take poor shots – on offense, whether you're playing fast or slow. And along with shot selection, I'd say rebounding coverage, proper, you know, basically not rebounding, getting back on D. Most teams are playing more that style, like one or two guys go rebound. Um, If you take good shots, and to get good shots, sometimes you have to run. So Kentucky's got to play fat. they got to play what Kentucky does. But if they don't get that good shot, off the initial push, I do look for Kentucky to try to go inside. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Nick Richards certainly. Could, I think Nick himself. Richards could do something. Austin Wise is a good player, but I really like how Richards is playing. I've noticed Kentucky starting to go to him more like a traditional post player and running stuff for him, and he's like a as a Buki that 
pick and roll in the middle of the court where you throw the lob. I mean, Aston Hagens and um, Richards really have a connection on that. So it'll be interesting to play. I don't know. I just had to veer into that. No, please. It, you know, I'm glad. Well, because you got to understand what – it's not about – they call it like we don't want to start a track meet. Well, the other team's going to run no matter what. We just got to take good shots. And that might be we get a rebound, we kick it, we push it, and we take a transition three, you know, off one pass. That's not necessarily – that's a good shot most of the time. Sometimes you're better off doing that. You can't just like – shell Kentucky ain't gonna shell up nah. plus you got the psychology and a lot of teams man you, you hear like you hear the coach saying oh we gotta slow it down we gotta, you know we don't want it I just think that's bad psychology I, th- I think less talk about the other team more talk about us and let's make sure we take good shots and we get rebounding defensive transition balance well now now is a great opportunity to tell the listeners we have a surprise for you um, you know whether or not Kentucky, you know, wins the SEC regular season championship with this win over Auburn on Saturday. This this might not be the last time we see them. Uh, it, you know, they these two teams have certainly established themselves as the class of the SEC. Yeah, I think I think that, I think that is for sure true. And you and I just found out that we will be at the SEC uh, t- uh, conference championship tournament, and so you know potentially you and I could see them maybe on a Sunday of uh, Selection Sunday playing for the that SEC would be title. A, that'd be a great championship game. So if you guys, you listeners at home, are going to be at the SEC uh, conference tournament, you let us know on Twitter. That's at 247CBBPod. We'd love to see you, shake your hand, talk a little hoops, because uh, we're excited about the SEC tournament, and I imagine you are too. Last matchup, last matchup for this week, Florida State visits Clemson, which is one of the bunnies I mentioned earlier. But the reason uh, I bring it up is because Clemson has already beaten North Carolina, which I know this season is whatever, but in terms of Clemson, beating North Carolina is a big deal. They've already beaten Duke. They've already beaten Louisville at home. And it looks like Little John Coliseum might be having the best year in its entire existence. And so could you imagine a situation where Clemson doesn't make the NCAA tournament, but relative to you know its expectations, beating UNC, Duke, and Louisville, and potentially the team that wins the ACC title at home? I think that's a that's a good matchup. Also, well, yeah, it's tough to beat Clemson at Clemson. I, I think this Clemson team's pretty good. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't think they're, you know, I don't think they're really bad. <laughs> the little bit I've watched them, I thought, you know, uh, I mean, uh, is his name Amir Sims? I believe they're big guy. I, I really like, I really like him as a player. I mean, I think, yeah, dude, if, if Florida State lost to Clemson at Clemson. I would not be shocked. I'm never surprised when when a Power 5 team loses on the road to another Power 5 team. Nonetheless, this is a game if Florida State wants to uh, assert itself and, and potentially put yeah. itself into the conversation for a one seed, definitely to stay involved in the two seed and not do- drop down to that 3-4 where the percentages go significantly down in the tournament. Yeah, but those players aren't thinking about this. <laughs> this is a game. Well, I- I'm sure they're They're thinking, just trying to do their job and play better. Like, they're the, thinking, the, this my, is a game we've got to win so that we can take yeah, care of business. That's, that's in their, the locker room, there's mm-hmm. never talk like that. No, yeah. absolutely not. Well, it's, that's, it's, it's be the best we can be and don't even think about stuff you don't have control of. All you got control of is your effort and your play and your preparation for this game. And because of all you know, where they are, there'll be a, hopefully a really heightened focus to do those. Sharpness, it's about yeah. process. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, and every coach is preaching that. And we as fans and on the outside, yeah, we look at that and we talk about it. Um, but 
they're they're saying just do your job one possession at a time. You know all that good coaching mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, if they're not thinking that way and they're thinking about numbers and the future, they'll probably get beat. Clemson Clemson has proven that it is not a team to be taken for granted this year. Oh, for sure. That's absolutely. Uh, we we are pushing up on an hour, which we haven't done in a while. So that's that's going to do it for today's episode of the twenty four seven Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host Tiny Levitt, joined as always by the illustrious king of assists in college basketball Jerry Meyer Jerry thanks for coming in in our new studio uh, we'll be here with you throughout March and uh, I'm, I'm going to have to go run and produce this real quick because I'm grabbing drinks right after work so I don't have time to be staying here till uh, 7.30 to get this out we'll see you next week with 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show until then go Terps